Republicans to wake up. Is what the Republican Party right now is not led by conservatives. There's a population out there that has to be told the truth. Um, we have to. Do it live! Now, from the left coast, it's another podcast edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Peter B. is curious, opinionated, and relentless in pursuit of the truth like a honeybee drawn to pollen. He's an independent progressive, ready to sting Republicans and Democrats alike when they deserve it. After years in commercial radio, Peter B. welcomes you to this audio adventure in news and politics with no corporate filter. Listeners support this program, and you can help at PeterBCollins.com. Here's your humble host, Peter B. Welcome to a fresh edition of the Peter B. Collins Show, delivered to your earbuds via podcast at peterbcollins.com and iTunes. As your pronouncer told you, this program is supported by listeners, and I want to single out Anuel Rinaldi, Susan Graham, and two writers who are staunch supporters of this program, Mark Liscard and Mike Palachek. If you'd like to help, and you can, just go to my website at peterbcollins.com. Click on the tab, You Can Help. Our voluntary subscriptions start as low as $5 a month. Our intro music today, courtesy of Brian Ferry. We'll send the royalty check someday, Brian. But you heard the royal typewriter sound effects at the beginning of the song. And today's program is a little different for us. We're going to put aside the politics and some of the news events and talk to people who have a yearning to publish a book. And maybe you've been pounding out a manuscript, you've got an idea, you've got a treatment, you can't find an agent. Well, today, two people who have published a new book called Write That Book Already, and I think the working title was Write That Book, Damn It, but an editor, <laughs> editor probably intervened. The subtitle is The Tough Love You Need to Get Published Now. Kathy Kamen Goldmark is co-author of this book. I've known Kathy for many years. She's a radio producer. She's worked as a, a publicist and an editor uh, at book publishers and done many other things. And I'm forever grateful for you introducing me to Jim Foster, who hosts uh, the radio show Conversations on the Coast and has become a good friend. Kathy, welcome. That's right. Thank you, Peter. And Great to be here. Sam Barry is your co-author and your husband, and he joined us on a podcast last year to try to help me learn how to play the harmonica. His book, uh, How to Play the Harmonica and Other Life Lessons, is still available, isn't it? It sure is. It has not yet been remainder? No, it hasn't been remainder. <laughs> not that I, they haven't told me that yet. <laughs> I'm planning on reading it one of these days. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? No. Well, it makes great bedtime reading. And a little bit later, we're going to be joined by my friend Rona Renner, who I think has at least one, if not two, books in her. And we're going to see if we can facilitate that process just a little bit. Now, first of all, Sam, I, I failed to mention that you, too, uh, work in publishing. You still have a job in publishing, right? Uh, again, last that I knew, <laughs> I still had a job. Yes, I do, I do have a job. I work for, uh, just came from there today, and I work at 
For HarperCollins, most people would know, and there's an imprint here in the Bay Area called Harper One. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I were the Collins in HarperCollins, but I will have to disclaim that from the start here. Now, uh, each of you, could you take a moment here to give us your own background, because Kathy published a book a few years ago, which uh, I found quite enjoyable, called uh, And My Shoes Keep Walking Back to You. But you've worked uh, as an author escort. You organized here in the Bay Area uh, the drivers who take famous authors around to radio and media interviews and those bookstore appearances. So I I don't see any ink stains on your fingers, but you've got publishing kind of in your blood, don't you? That's right. Well, that is really the best writing class in the world because every day I spent with a world-renowned author or expert or somebody who – just really had a passion for something. And without even realizing it, you'll learn a lot about how it's done. You also have to deal with the publishers and the publicity people and the agents and the editors to a degree. Mm -hmm. And so I got a really sort of insider's view of the industry without actually ever having to uh, put on a suit and go to an office for 17 years. But didn't you also get a look at the budgets? Don't most people outside of publishing imagine that it's a wash in cash and and limos and private jets and champagne on ice? The biggest fiction in the world is the idea that you will be able to quit your day job once your first book gets published. It's just not the way it works for most authors. There are a few exceptions Mm -hmm. I could name, but mostly... Writing is a long career. Writing is something people do because they love it, because they can't help it. And many, many people, most writers, do other work to support their writing habit. Mm -hmm. Well, and that phrase you just used reminded me that you were the uh, founder of Don't Quit Your Day Job Records. That's right. We brought to you musical offerings from Norman Mailer, Maya Mm -hmm. Angelou. My favorite, personally, Robert Reich, the former Secretary of Labor singing Chain Gang. Um, (laughs) Many, many others. And Jessica Midford Mm -hmm. with DECA and the Dectones, my my dear, dear friend. Mm -hmm. Now, Sam, um, how did you come into the publishing biz? Because you've been doing this for more than a couple of weeks. Indeed, yeah. It's interesting. I actually was a Presbyterian minister before. I've been many things in my life, and one of them... Uh, my brother used to joke that he, I'm the only person he knows who's been both a cocaine dealer and a Presbyterian minister, <laughs> not at the same time. Oh, but, that's uh, so disappointing. That's disappointing. <laughs> Otherwise, but, the Catholics would have tried to recruit you. That's right. Ooh, Ooh <laughs> burn, as my kids would say. Anyhow, but I uh, left the ministry and uh, I, I came to the Bay Area. I'm a musician, and one of my musician friends – I was working, but one of my musician friends um, – was an did it by an avocation, and the bass player said, "You know that guy playing trumpet, he's just been promoted. He's a bigwig in publishing. He's like a publisher now." And he kept nudging me with this, and finally he said, "You idiot! I'm you're interested in books, publishing. Go talk to the guy." And I did, and that was Steve Hanselman, who is now an agent in the New York area. But Steve hired me, and I got into HarperCollins, and I've been at it ever since, and I enjoy it very much. It's a I mean, I can tell you the many ups and downs of it, but it is a very creative and interesting field to be in. And this is a very exciting time to be in it, in spite of the fact that it's also kind of crazy. Yeah, well, I want to hear more about that. But at HarperCollins and Harper One, are you the guy who sends out the uh, rejection letters? No, acquiring editors are the folks who have that joy, and and that's no fun. They don't want to be sending out rejection letters. They're looking for talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, of course... 
there are not every book proposal that comes in or manuscript that comes in fits our list or makes sense for us. Mm-hmm. So we do have to do some rejecting. And of course, editors, uh, what they do is they have their assistant editors send out those rejection letters. Okay. Now, the two of you also uh, run a blog called Author Enablers. And you recently changed the URL, so I would encourage people to just uh, do a search engine entry, Google or anything else, for author enablers, and you'll be able to find it. Uh, How long have you been doing that, Kathy? I think we've been doing that about four years, right? We write a monthly column for a publication called Book Page, which is widely distributed everywhere except San Francisco and New York, which are the two places we know a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) nobody we know knows we do this. But we are a Dear Abby column for aspiring writers, both online and in print, in a publication that's given away monthly in libraries and independent bookstores. Mm -hmm. And people write... Some of the most wonderful, brilliant, and also some of the most ridiculous questions <laughs> you yeah. could imagine. We we get everything from nine-year-olds who want our help with their homework to really thoughtful questions that we actually have to research the answers to about, you know, certain kinds of subsidiary rights or um, if it's okay to fictionalize uh, – real people in mm-hmm. a book, you know, that kind of thing. So we have a lot of fun, and we try to make it entertaining and also useful. And We actually have learned – by the way, that nine-year-old wanted us to actually do his homework. <laughs> it was my memory. But um, <laughs> but we actually learn a lot in the process because some of the questions are really uh, kind of interesting. We have to do a little research. It's a lot of fun. We have both a blog and a column with book page. Okay. And does this give you new respect for the women who play Dear Abby? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and you know, the people who write to you over and over again with the same question in all capital letters and bold font and <laughs> you have to help me, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, mostly it's thoughtful people, many of whom have absolutely no idea how publishing works, which is what – really gave us the idea for writing this book, which is an overview of the publishing process. Now, uh, can we back up, before we talk about the contents of the book, uh, as a business, uh, uh, as a piece of product, okay, this strikes me as something that has really long shelf life. This is not a flash-in-the-pan book that uh, would zoom up the uh, bestseller charts and then drop off almost as quickly. This is a uh, how-to, a manual uh, uh, a kind of self-help book that probably could go on and, and be a successful title for years. That's from, what we're hoping. From your lips to <laughs> Mr. Barnes and Noble's ears. Now, how much of that was calculated on your part? Was this simply, you know, you, you had this compulsion, you had to get this information out, you knew there there's an audience for it? Or is this a business proposition? Hey, yeah, we got this information. They call it content, and we think we can make some money with it. Well, I think we saw a need for it. I think, you know, so many people asked us the same very basic questions over and over again. Believe it or not, many people who write to us don't know the difference between traditional publishing, where a publisher pays you to for the right to publish your work, and self-publishing, where you pay a printer to create product for you. Uh, And so we're starting at that very basic level, explaining how it works and trying to keep an open mind toward whatever may come in in the way of e-books and self-publishing, which is changing by the minute. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, uh, uh, 
the answer is both. We'd, it was a business. You craven profiteers. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, Taking we advantage were, of people who have literary instincts. <laughs> that's what we want to do. We want to take care of <laughs> but the, uh, But we also... Better us than Yeah, exactly. Else. At least we're, we're pretty nice about it. But... Um, uh, but also, it was a lot of fun writing this book. To, uh, we actually enjoy writing together, which is uh, – we didn't know we would, but we enjoy writing together, both the column, the blog, and also this book. And mm-hmm. we actually have a lot of fun. We get to poke a little fun at some of our – not anybody we actually know, but mm-hmm. we poked a little fun at the publishing industry along the way, and that was fun. Uh, when you track changes, what colors do you use? Oh, I think I'm red, right? I'm, I'm, I'm red, red and you're I'm blue. blue. But then if it, on the other computer, I'm purple. <laughs> Write that book already, The Tough Love You Need to Get Published Now. And this is a fascinating book. I, I really enjoyed it. I don't particularly have a book in me. Uh, I, I can write a little bit, but I don't have the focus and discipline, frankly. But you've covered all of the likely questions that people would encounter. And so with this in mind, I invited my friend and colleague, Rona Renner, to join us here today. And in fact, we're in the studio where Rona originates her weekly radio show. And just in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I helped her get this show started and I helped build this studio. This is the first time I've actually done a show from here. (laughs) Welcome, Peter. (laughs) But my little studio didn't have enough microphones, so uh, we, we came here so we could do this today. And I wanted to gently stage uh, a little intervention for Rona, because Ah. I believe that Rona (laughs) has uh, a couple of great ideas for books, and they would not only be good for the readers who would find them, but they would help enhance her career. Rona is a nurse for 30... 44 years. Okay. I started when I was very young. She has been a nurse and a parent educator. She's a specialist on the temperament of children. And she brings those skills to a weekly one-hour live radio show where parents call in and there's an ongoing discussion. Uh, It's somewhat similar to what you're doing for authors here, what she does for parents. And one of the, uh, shall we say, challenges for Rona to build a profile and become better known is that she doesn't have a B-double-O-K. And for access to newspapers... Hold on a second. B-double-O. Okay, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is something that we've talked about internally for many years. And about six months ago, she made a transition and reduced her workload. She used to be the executive director of this nonprofit. She started it, and she reached that point where she wanted to have the time to do other things. And so this is my gentle way of encouraging Rona <laughs> to, to uh, yes. work through some of the, the questions or challenges she may feel and to uh, hopefully break through and write that damn book already. Uh, so, Rona, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, just in a brief sketch, uh, a book or the second book that you and I have talked about. Uh, describe that for Kathy and Sam, and let's get some real-time advice here on some of the questions you have. Well, first of all, thank you, Peter, for the intervention. Um, <laughs> I've only been out of my full-time job six months, but, you know, as I read this book by uh, Sam and Kathy, I realized, oh, this is really helpful. This is really helpful because I know, you know, a lot of it was not new to me. 
But there were things that really came clear to me that I needed to hear. And so I'm very happy to be here with you and, and get your help. So, um, you know, I have done this show for seven and a half years. I was a parent educator for 14 years at Kaiser Richmond. I've been a nurse. And doing radio is a perfect medium for me because I have learning disabilities. I, I learn differently. I have a little ADHD and I love this medium. I, I, I feel like I can respond to people right on the spot. I like doing TV, but I've had this sense that I want to write a book for a while now. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the big barriers for me is also my learning differences, my neurodiversity as we call it. And okay. Um, more on a psychological level, even more than on any problem with being able to write. So, so Peter asked me to say something about the books I've had in mind. And there really are two. One seems like the easy one and one seems like the hard one. The easy one that I've been encouraged to do is to take some of my shows. I write the introduction every week. Mm -hmm. I write for a couple of articles on newspapers, so mm -hmm. I have been doing writing. And to take a few of my favorite shows, 10 of my favorite shows, and talk about what the parents said, what the professionals said, and then put my spin on the topic so it might be tantrums or how do you set limits or how do you yell less or and couple we would relationships. like publishers to read these things yes. about tantrums and setting limits <laughs> there too. you go and this book my daughter said mom you could even put a cd with your shows mm -hmm. on it as an add-on and everyone keeps telling me rona it's a no-brainer just do it so that that piece maybe you could give me a little analysis here the other book that really interests me is about the fact that I grew up as very poor in Brooklyn in the projects with learning differences that no one knew about, with a father with post-traumatic stress, some definite problems in my family. And I feel like I became a person who I'm very proud of my life. I feel like I'm mm -hmm. successful in my life. So kind of an inspirational memoir? Yes. And having to do with childhood matters. Like, why did I have this journey to write, I mean, to talk about parenting in the way I do and how I've raised my four kids? And I think there are a lot of great messages in there about resiliency, persistence, and um, other forces that have helped me. So it's part of the problem, it's part of what's stopping you that you can't decide which book to write, because I have an idea. Okay? Good. Well, and, and that's good, because <laughs> I've, I have thought about that, and I thought, well, ha I know, Rona, start the easy one, but start, keep notes on the hard one. Well, I think you should start both, and I think you should avoid the one you're getting tired of working on by working on the other. Many people avoid writing. They find all kinds of, we are great experts at finding ways to avoid writing, and you know, waxing the kitchen floor is nice. We have a recipe in here for matzo ball soup. <laughs> I if saw you're having that. I saw that. I actually but liked it because I do matzo ball soup. Yeah. Right off the side of the Manischewitz box, that recipe. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I don't tell anybody. But um, anyway, we're on the radio. You know, their one, lawyers will call. <laughs> yeah. One thing you can do is, you know, when you're stuck on one project, go to the other one and work on that for a while. You'll, I think, you'll find them fueling each other and informing each other in ways that you might never have imagined. And, and that sounds right to me, at what you're saying. Sounds right on. Great. Yeah. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that I don't just feel yeah, like so I have to stifle. And you don't yeah. have to leave one for the other. It's like your two children. You don't want to love one more than the other, right? So, so why not give them each what they need when they need it? 
I, I just and go ahead. What were we going to say? No, you go first. I suspect that one is going to uh, move quicker than the other. I suspect you'll find out in the act of writing which one you're feeling like you really want to write that you're ready to write. You might say that's coming out of you, uh, which is going to raise a different question, which is which is the right one to write, which is the commercial one to write. That's a different question. Right. And and I keep thinking, well, the commercial one, I think, is the one where I already have a lot of the work done and it's the chapters. and But but I don't know the truth of that. I don't know which is the more commercial one. I mean, and I, when I use the word commercial, I mean the one that would sell more readily or find its home in publishing more readily. I don't um, think she's at the stage really where she has to worry about that quite yet. I think the issue here is actually getting the work done. And here's the thing. Your books will not get finished, either one of them, unless you start them and unless you work at them. And I don't know if you know, I'm terrible at this myself, so I shouldn't be telling you to do it. Can you turn off your phone? Can you turn off your email? Can so you give yourself an hour a day? At least 20 minutes. Well, yeah. so that's, to me, the the biggest thing. I, I decided when I left my full-time job that my first priority was to get into the habit of going to the Y and do, doing water exercise for my health. And I have done really well five days a week doing that. And I'm really proud of that. And it feels like the same thing. It feels like the only way I'm going to sit my tush on the chair and write is if I make it an appointment in my book. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done it yet. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think it's... um, Well, we offer a surface where we come over to your house. (laughs) And stick you into the chair and pin you down. (laughs) Yes, we have a a friend, uh, author friend, uh, John Lasquois, who writes detective uh, books, really great ones, New York Times bestsellers, and and he he puts it in a colloquial way. He says, "Place butt in chair and write," and <laughs> he, you know that's how you get it done. Uh, I think it was Tom Wolf who this is sort of actually goes back to almost pre-computer, but it it amounts to the same thing. He said he would hand write two pages every day, double space. That sounds like nothing. It sounds like nothing. Handwritten two, pages, except for he would do it religiously every day. And of course, probably there were days when he'd write more. Mm-hmm. You know, you get rolling. So if you commit to a minimum amount every day, you'd be amazed how much you can. Uh, Stephen King also says that, and I think he manages to turn out a couple of pages. Soon. There's a, there's another thing too that's kind of wonderful. We also play music, and I know from many, many, many bad gigs that you know you don't get to take it back. You sing a flat note. Everybody in the room is going to hear it. But when you're writing, you don't have to show it to anybody until you're ready. Nobody has to see your screw-ups ever, really. And, you know, you mentioned music. Because I have um, a brain that, you know, usually has like five radio stations on it once in my brain, um, I've noticed Advanced Technologies has a CD for concentration and thinking. It's, It's classical music, and it actually helps me write. If I'm putting on music. So I've discovered things. So here's the question is, how do I get over my sense that, you know, I grew up feeling pretty dumb because I had learning differences, even though I was really smart and all that. How do I get over that sense that it's not, I don't believe it, but this sense of, wait, I can't write a book. You know, and and in your book, you keep saying in your book, in order to write, you have to read a lot. And because I'm dyslexic, Reading is hard for me. So I decided not to listen to that part in your book. No, or you could listen to books on tape. You know yeah. what we mean? It doesn't mean that you have to sit and read. What we mean is that most of the writers we know love stories. Right. Love 
hearing stories, love reading stories, love experiencing stories, see the world in that way, love the library, love the smell of a book, you know, that I kind of thing. I used to go to the library all the time and yeah. touch the books. You know, you don't have to be, be a fast reader. You don't have to be a really skillful reader. There are many ways to, to read a book. Yeah, and I think let's take one of your projects, the idea of uh, taking the shows, which are already uh, kind of in a spoken form. And after all, we shouldn't totally separate the spoken word out from the written word. There is a connection between those two. Yes. They're, not, they're different, but um, ultimately they, they serve a similar purpose. And you've got those shows you are an expert. I mean, you're already – you're the expert yeah. on these subjects. You're also the expert on the learning disability and, and being successful with it. Yeah. So you've already got this great message. Right. So my point of view on that project is you, who better to write that book than you? You know, the, you're the one to write that book. Right. See, uh, people sometimes, I think, have an image of, oh, an author must be James Joyce, an Irishman who's grumpy and lives in Paris, or, or you know, whatever your image is, or Leo Tolstoy, you know, who, well, that's a kind of author, of course, uh, and, but the image of an author doesn't really help writers, I don't think. Writers become authors because, often, especially of nonfiction, because they have a specific message, and to take a different, I'll make up an example. Who better but somebody who has been in prison for a crime maybe they did commit to write about that experience? Right. And yet you don't think of ex-cons as, as the, as the resume the for author. Well, know? what you're saying <laughs> but, is why I think I can do it. I mean, that's what gives me hope, and I thank you for saying that, is, is because I do feel like I have something to say. Now, in, in the book, you have a list of bullet points. And, Sam, I want to give you credit because in your harmonica book, you made the most twisted use of bullet points that <laughs> I've ever encountered, and they're very enjoyable. But one of them is you, you say, uh, have someone you trust regularly check on your progress. Writers groups are particularly effective in this regard. Talk a little bit about writers groups and also uh, writers workshops that are led by people who are, uh, no, I mean, Amy Tan does yeah. it, and uh, John Carroll, who writes for the Chronicle here locally, he leads uh, Adair Lara, a former uh -huh. columnist, also uh -huh. does that. Well, thank you for asking that, because that was my next question to them. For someone like me, who's a little scared, but yet has a, a good book in me, I'm trying to decide, do I get a writer's class? Do I get a coach? Do I get, what do I get to it's help me? It's a little hard to find the right match, but it's really, really worth it to even have a few false starts and not let that stop you. A writer's group ideally is, you know, maybe between five and ten people. It could be less. It could be, I think more than ten is really unwieldy. Uh, maybe ten is even too many. But people who are at about your same level, you don't want, um, you don't want Amy Tan in your writing group if you're a beginning writer, even though she's wonderful. Right. You know, you want people who are all at about the same place, all working on first or second books. And you want people who are not necessarily writing the same kind of book. You could have a fiction writer, nonfiction, mystery writer, you know, but people who are going to be able to give kind but very honest criticism. You want to be able to give the kind of criticism that is not just, oh, wow, that was awesome. You want to say... Um, Specific. Great sense of place, but I think if you started with a second paragraph, you would have a more powerful beginning. You, you want people who can read and help each other that way. Writers' classes can provide a writer's group, and uh, that's another thing you can do. Many libraries sponsor them and community colleges and... 
I know there are private writers group leaders as well. But once you find your your right match, I was in a horrible. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a horrible group. They were lovely people, but they were all like memoirists who had had horrendous lives and I write comic fiction and I f- just felt like a jerk reading my piece <laughs> because <laughs> everybody else was There's nothing tragic about and, it. You know, so you want to get a good mix and you want to get the right people. But um, y- it's a great idea. It's a really great idea. And you will find your- yourself supporting each other and becoming great friends and uh, – if if you get the right and and if if it that I think that is probably the great a great way to do it because you can set it up with the group the way you want to if you can't find that group a class is also a really good way to go we happen to have great community uh, in adult education in this area and we have some of the great writing education programs in in the world in the Bay Area but so. a, you know another resource for example bookstores like Book Passage that mm-hmm. have writers yeah. conferences and classes all the time you can also find them at many many libraries um so there are lots of ways to find these things and do you find that people sometimes like hire a coach you know someone who checks in with you about whether you're sitting you know your bottom on the chair and really uh doing i mean you that's, can do that or you can yeah. just find a buddy someone a buddy else who's working writing on the book. same issues Good. it's like finding an exercise buddy yeah you know? i'm just figuring that uh that the role you you play in life doesn't make you a millionaire so why not find something that you know isn't on you you should be able to find this among friends I yes think, exactly <laughs> that would be nice um, and also i think of it as like uh, when you when you get a committee together at work, uh, you want to get people who are going to get stuff done. Yes, right? that's what you want. See, I have a great husband actually who's a writer, but he's a technical writer and he writes all day long. But he's yeah. the person I can go to for honest compassionate, good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he wasn't working full-time writing, I know that we could do what you guys did, which is actually write a book together because um, we write well together. Mm-hmm. But right now it's not going to work and I shouldn't wait for him in order to do this. I don't, you oh, know, no. don't wait for it. You shouldn't wait. Kathy yeah. said it right off the... Don't know, wait. Start writing. Do it. Yeah, start writing. <laughs> but it, it just seems to me that if you... I, a guy who's a technical writer, I identify a little bit with, although I, I work in publishing and spend a lot of my time writing those, those bullets... That were referred to, <laughs> probably why I came out so twisted when I was let loose in my own book, because we use, you know, we, I write copy to promote and sell books, and that's a little like technical writing or advertising. So I churn it out. It's very good, by the way, to do that kind of writing. People put that kind of professional writing, you know, aside as not. Well, it teaches you to be a good writer because people go, that ah, didn't work. And you yeah. get so used to that, you're comfortable with throwing it out and starting over or adjusting. He will be a big, your husband will be a big resource for you. You, if you start writing and you write a chapter, I'm sure he'd gladly sit and look he at would. it for you. He would definitely All would. Right. Now, getting started, Mr. Downey in high school English said, Peter, make an outline, follow your outline, and then change it as needed. How do you approach the organizing of ideas as you get ready to write a book? I think it depends what you're writing. I think for fiction or memoir, you just start writing. Uh, for, some people like an outline. Some people like to see what happens and surprise themselves. And I do something that I think I invented. I do something called a chapter map. And that is after the fact rather than before. I write a chapter and then I make a little chart of what happened in the chapter so I don't have to read 
the whole thing to get back there, I can sort of remind myself where all the characters are and what has happened. And so I can pick up the thread of the story. I find that easier than outlining things in advance. But you c- anything that works for you is fine. Yeah, it's, we, we, we do know? need to separate out fiction and memoir. Memoir is a lot like fiction from nonfiction. Um, in this regard, uh, my brother Dave Barry, uh, when he decided to write a novel after many years of writing short humor pieces, uh, he he said he said he suddenly discovered apparently they wanted a plot in these novels. <laughs> <laughs> he had Go no idea, <laughs> so he went to his friend and our friend Ridley Pearson, and Ridley has like whole charts. He has like all the characters in the book where they were before the novel started, where they are even when they're not in the scene, like actors do. And yeah. Dave mm-hmm. said, "Ridley, can I have one of your plots?" And, but um, <laughs> so different writers do it differently. That's an extreme example. Um, mm-hmm. Scott Tarot, another author. So we know, friend, uh, sometimes he'll start a novel at the end or in the middle, and you know, and then he puts it all together later. Mm. So what, what about a storyboard? I mean, that's how they sure. create television programs, th- and that's similar to the, the wall map that you described. Yeah, I think anything that works is great. Now, mm-hmm. I would say about nonfiction that uh, here I'm going to throw in the idea of a, how you sell the book a little bit, but usually for nonfiction, you want to have a book proposal. So, right. Rona, to yours, use your first idea, you'd want to have a book proposal which outlines the chapters, gives a description of those chapters, uh, you know, gives a brief description of the entire book, of what its message is, what the other, what books there are in the market similar uh, and to it, and what uh, what the book will do for the world that none of those books quite do, and so on and, and so forth. And the first chapter, maybe and a sample chapter. Sample right? chapter. Right. And so, okay, by the time you've done all that, Rona, you've kind of, you're on your way. I know. You're, you're on right. Your way, you know? And you right. have a lot of your proposal <laughs> yeah. together, too. Your nonfiction proposal is going to need to include a table of contents, which right. is basically just a fancier version of your outline. And, you know, I already have the connection with media to once I get it written to, you know, be able to sell it a little too. Well, you have what we call a platform. A platform. I have a platform. We don't want to get too personal, Rona, but you've got a platform. I got a platform. Okay, Peter, we got a platform. Oh, Peter has you a platform too. You help me make too, this huh? platform. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's, let's move a little bit fast forward here. Rona has uh, completed a chapter. She's got a table of contents. Uh, a general outline. She then needs to write a zippy pitch letter, right? Some oh, yeah. sort of a, uh, a, a a description of the book and why an editor should buy it. Oh, right? nice! They have great examples in this book. I like your examples a lot. They they made me happy to read. Like they were encouraging. Oh, that's great! Well, yeah. our friend Leslie Levine actually provided us with her pitch letter of a book that that. It's got sold book. and she's um she was very generous to share it with us but um the- and, and let me let me just read this for our listeners here uh dear editor do you save the wishbone do you pause before you blow out the candles does wishing make it so in wish it dream it do it turning what you want into what is yours i will clearly creatively and gently show readers how to combine their dreams and wishes with practical strategies intended to help them achieve what they really want from life yeah 
Yeah, you see how that, of course, in Peter, especially yeah. in Peter's voice, it really sounds <laughs> right. good. <laughs> and I thought, oh, right, that's how I got this radio show started. It took me 10 years, but we did it, Peter. Yeah. But but that book, it, just reading the letter made me want to Made me want to get her book. Wow. Look there at goes that. the water glass. I spilled my water <laughs> in my studio. Good thing it's mine. Uh, but, so that was a good example, Peter. Mm-hmm. So um, what... Uh, uh, what kind of pitch letters, uh, this is a good example, but should you write one letter and then just change the name of the editor and the address, or should you do some research, look at the list of a publisher, and before you send that letter, A, see if you have any chance at all to match the you know current output of that house, and B, uh, should you frame the letter in a way that is specific to a certain publisher. Well, well, I, I, I'd like to go back a step and say, are we talking? If we're talking about a query letter, I we often recommend trying to find an agent uh, first. Mm. And this letter, I would think of the first letter you want to write that sells your book as being a query letter to an agent. To a letter, and the reason for that is many traditional publishers, the big publishing houses, no longer accept what are called over the transom submissions. They need projects to be agented in order to consider them. So this pitch letter, think about it in terms of going to a prospective agent, not a publisher. It's the agent's job to know who in the different publishing Mm. houses to sell to. So for me, for instance, uh, if if I have a clear idea of what I'm doing, do I try and find an agent before I spend a lot of time writing? Um, well, you know, you should always be writing. Right, okay. But once you're ready to, once you feel that you're ready to go, uh, we have a top secret trick for identifying agents who might be a good place to start, and that is go to the library or a bookstore and look at books that are similar to yours. Yes. Not as good, we know, <laughs> but in the same genre. And look at the acknowledgement pages. And see who is thanked. And in like 98% of the time, they will thank an agent. And you'll see the same names popping up in particular kinds of literature. Mm-hmm. And those are very good people to start with. You can find out how to reach them in a very expensive and clunky publication, also found in the library, called Literary Marketplace. And you can then go on the Internet and look up their submission guidelines. And you must follow them. To the letter, actually, Sam will tell I, you actually, why. Literary marketplace, I think, li- usually lists their uh, submission guidelines. And if you know, just think, you might think, I have such a great book idea. I don't need to do it the way they're asking here mm-hmm. with the query letter first. I'll send them the proposal right off the bat. Unfortunately, what will happen is an assistant will open that and say, oh, they didn't follow the guidelines, and I've been ordered to throw these in the recycling bin. So <laughs> you yes. never get a chance that way. But um, just And they be- won't seek you out either if they can't find your, and, your contact right. information. And I do want to say Literary Marketplace lists every, virtually every reputable agent. It's, almost, it's overwhelming a bit, but you will be able to see what they specialize in. And you can quickly tell that they're not appropriate for you, you know, if they're they're all about thrillers in Hollywood, right. it wouldn't fit you. But there are I also want to be, to be a full service author enabler team here. We want to say it's possible we suggest going with an agent, but let's say that doesn't seem to be working for you. This kind of a book that you're writing, Rona, it it might lend itself to 
um, a smaller press, a specialty right. press, like, an yeah. academic press. I can think of New Harbinger Press. That yeah. does exactly. All these and it's and they do. And books. I want to say they do buy books um, without yeah. agents. Not you know because when we say most houses only accept from agents, we're talking Random House, Harper Collins, Viking, know. Mm-hmm. Put, but, but Penguin. You know those. And, bigger ones, Simon and, and you know, the bigger is not always better. What you want is the right publishing house. I really mean that's not uh, just a, I'm, I'm saying that because it's really true. So do I go to your blog once I've gotten a lot of it done and I say to you um, on your blog, you know, what do I ha- who do I do next? Who, how do I find an agent? I mean, those are the kinds of questions you answer. <laughs> we don't have that. Who do, we, who do I do next? <laughs> <laughs> who do I go to next? Sorry. Sorry. There are, I think there are other blogs <laughs> that's, that. that's our other blog. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see the sleeping your way to getting published. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cut that, Peter. <laughs> just just edit that one out. <laughs> um, many people do. Yeah. And, and there are also um, – and it's also kind of a nail-biting process. It's um, – it, it's, even once you get your agent, just think. You've got an agent representing your book out there, not really probably communicating with you very much about it, you know, and – uh, some agents are very protective. They won't tell you even when they get rejections. Others will. Others will send every stake in the heart rejection letter along <laughs> cheerily in an email. You know, um, it just depends. Well, I'm used to rejection, having been an executive director of a nonprofit <laughs> looking for funding. <laughs> you know, we, we, we've been looking for funding for so you know, a long time. Right I'm used there. to rejection letters. <laughs> I can then, handle that. You know, the thing to remember is you really only need one. You only need one agent, and then you only need one publisher for your first book. It's like looking for a job. You know, you only need that one job. There's at least one story in the book of an author who uh, whose agent submitted a book. It was rejected, and a year and a half later, the same publisher came and said, "Where is that book?" (laughs) Right. All kinds of things like that happen. Stephen King has shared a great story with us, and that is when he was a teenager, he put a spike in his bedroom wall and started. Whenever he got a rejection letter, he, you know, put it put it on the spike until there were so many that the spike <laughs> fell out of the wall. And look at you know he's had a, he's had a pretty decent career since yeah. then. Once once he got started. Now the other uh, factor that I think speaks to the need for an agent is that Rona Rona has never published a book, has never negotiated a publishing deal. Right. And so how do you know if you're being treated fairly? How do you know if those paperback rights, if that clause is written properly? And so I feel like the agent route is something you should try for, if at oh, all possible. Yeah. yeah, I would say in general, our basic position is you should, authors should have an agent because they're worth 15%, which is what they usually charge you. And by the way, you don't get charged by a reputable agent until they've sold your book. Then they take the money off the top. They don't charge you Oh, it's front. the ambulance chaser structure. Yeah, <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. And, in a way, uh, in a way, <laughs> but it, it does spur them on uh-huh. um, to to do their work. But that, so, uh, yes, we we do think it's better to have an agent, and because they do those hard things. And also, here's another reason: I work in HarperCollins, and I know all of our editors in our company. Uh, so I might know, let's say, uh, if the, a thriller came to our house, we don't do thrillers at Harper One, but we'd know which editor to send it to in HarperCollins. But we wouldn't necessarily know who to send it to at Random House or at Scribner's or at Penguin. Right. But an agent does know all those people. And if they're the, if they're the kind of agent who sells 
books about learning disabilities or about you know you know the about parenting parenting or you know or self help or <laughs> they know the people in all the publishing houses to reach because it's their business to know those folks and to even have relationships with them. You're buying what you're really doing in a way by getting an agent is buying into their knowledge base and their Rolodex. And there's another way to meet agents, which is at a writer's conference. And there are many good writer's conferences. Some concentrate on literary craft. For example, the Squaw Valley Community of Writers is a juried writer's conference where you have to send in your work and apply and get accepted. San Francisco Writers Conference is a little more focused on sales and marketing and publicity and that kind of thing and bestsellers, and they will admit anybody who pays the tuition. But what they feature is a chance to meet agents face-to-face. And San Francisco Writers Conference does something called speed dating for agents. (laughs) And you go and spend five minutes each with a bunch of agents and pitch your idea. You know, it's so interesting. I'm sitting here, and this part sounds like I can do all of that. Mm -hmm. And it's really that beginning part. It's the sitting down and beginning that I think is the hardest for me. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, there was something in your book you wrote about the zone. And I know that when I write articles in my introductions, I'm restless. I get up and I get down. And then all of a sudden, something shifts when I feel like I'm getting somewhere Mm -hmm. and I get tuned in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I could keep writing then. And I think that's what you were referring to as the zone. And I liked what you said about you don't wait for the zone to happen and then write. You have to write in order for that to happen. Another way to put it is the muse. muse. You know, the muse will not, you know, you can bring the muse on by doing the work. But if you wait for the muse to come and hit you over the head, it could be a while. Now, Sam and Kathy, one thing that surfaces for me in reading the book and in this discussion today is fragile egos and ego management. Because to take on the task of writing, you have to have sufficient ego to think, A, you have something to say, and that you have a good idea of how to say it. Uh, On the other hand, uh, there are many great writers out there, and we can all feel humbled uh, by the skills demonstrated by people with uh, superior uh, talent and experience. So Mm -hmm. there's a kind of corrective there. Then when it gets to the stage of uh, finding an agent and marketing the book, uh, you need more ego. You have to have confidence in what you've done and that you are somebody, uh, not just a nebbish, not just a, a nobody. So uh, what do you suggest? Is it weekly therapy? Uh, that, that could work. <laughs> I don't want therapy. Is, I mean, Peter, I'm done with that. Is, Sorry. Is there, is there a pharmaceutical solution? But, that, but that's, really, a, that's a possibility. Ego management is a very important uh, a part of this process. I think Can Hunter I, oh. Thompson used the <laughs> pharmaceutical solution. Uh, you know, you know who Isabella Allende is. Oh, sure. and she's actually been so generous with us. She's supported our radio she, shows. She supports yes. our radio shows, and we sat in her house with her, and she showed us all her books and talked to us. She's one of the I mean, nicest people. I love her. Yeah, and you know what she once told me is that every time she finishes a book, she worries that she's never going to have another idea. Mm-hmm. So I figure if Isabella Allende Feels can go way. there, it's. Anyone, any writer can go there, and you can't let it stop you. And you know what she's really good at that I, I got some encouragement from is she starts saying no when she's ready to start a new book. She kind of hibernates a little, and she yeah, says no to a, a lot of things. Yeah, frustrating if you're producing a radio show. It, right, and you're trying to get her on the air. But, but she says no to a lot of things, and I think that's part of what I have to learn from her and other people mm-hmm. is how to really be able to say, sorry, I can't do that. 
I'm busy. If you had to have a root canal at 10 o'clock on Thursday, you wouldn't schedule lunch with your friend for the same time, right? No, maybe, maybe. No, right. <laughs> you <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, yeah. you know, so, so it's you, being you, self-centered in that good way. You really do have to make yourself as important as a root canal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, that didn't wait, quite hold it. <laughs> I, think, I think that uh, Peter's question is a, is a good one because, it, it, you know, it is a challenge to keep your ego afloat but not get carried away with it. Uh, I've, I feel like the reason to write, uh, the reason people write is either they have, they just can't, they have a passion for writing, they're a story, storyteller, a lover of words, or they have a passion for a message, or it can be a little of both. Uh, and those are the two primary reasons, because you have a message that's got to get out there, or you just love the act of writing. And if you have either of those things, then I think you go ahead and do it and uh, just uh, Get a little therapy when the ego problems strike. Your, your book is um, uh, peppered with pull quotes uh, described as tough love from the author enablers, and here's one that fits. Be a pro. Writing for publication means you will experience some rejection, other people's opinions, and endless rewrites. If you're not up for this, it's really fine to stick to journaling. Remember, finding the right agent can be a long, somewhat painful process. You're doing a brave thing putting yourself and your work out into the world, and those are growing pains that you're feeling. And, you know, what's so interesting, Peter, is, and as you were speaking, I realized that having the radio show has been my way to get my message out, and it's been a good way. All the shows are online, they're archived. And, and I don't think we've mentioned childhoodmatters.org. Childhoodmatters.org, <laughs> that's where they all are, you know. But And, and I think... But there feels like there's a book to do now. You know, the passion to do the radio show was one thing, but the time to do the book seems now. And I think I have to make that shift in my own mind as to have another medium for doing this. I think it sounds like it's time for you to sit down and write that book. And we will be over with chicken soup first thing Monday morning (laughs) to get you started. (laughs) Another way to look at it is, you know, you know you're reaching people through the radio and online. And this is another way to reach a whole other audience. Yes. So it's worth it to do it. Definitely. I'm very encouraged by your book, actually. When I first started reading it, I got a little scared. And I thought, oh, my God, there are all reasons why I shouldn't. And then I kept reading. And I go, no, he's talking to me. You're talking to me. And um, I appreciate the encouragement. And let me just, uh, because it's easy to do here, I want to read briefly the chapter titles so that people will know what's in the book that we might not have touched on in this conversation. Uh, Why we write and why you write, too. You have a great idea. So what? How to Get Started with the Right Stuff, W-R-I-T-E, Your Manuscript, The Basic Rules of Attraction, Finding an Agent, Behind Closed Doors, Will They Buy Your Book? Now, I found that fascinating. (laughs) That's my favorite. (laughs) And and I want people to buy your book and read that, so we're not going to go into it right here. Um, You and your editor, Marketing and Publicity, Getting the Word Out, the pros and cons of self-publishing, and that's a conversation for another day, too, it because sure is. Yeah, there's a long quite one. a bit of activity out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no longer just vanity pressing. Uh, for sale, bookstores, book selling, and book groups, and long life, paperbacks, and backlist. That's another interesting chapter that uh, I learned a few things about, because uh, you can make money, and, and, and that's something I alluded to about your book that even if this moves to a backlist at the publisher, it may be on that list for years to come. That's what every author wants, and believe the, the me. Pro- <laughs> do, do you get actually a better split when you go into backlist? 
It's no, so no. The can royal, you? Well, the royal. Yes, you can actually. I'm sorry, I was going to speak incorrectly. It depends on the contract, but if you go over a certain amount of sales, uh, especially with hard hardbacks, royalties go up. With paperbacks, which is usually what backlist is, it's just the same royalty rate. So in general, the way you get more is because they sell more, uh, and you get your royalty, you mm-hmm. know, your percentage of the cut. After it's earned out. <laughs> and then if you do another book, your backlist sales of your first book will likely pick up as mm-hmm. well. It's usually, yeah. usually they will, especially if it was the same publisher, but even a different publisher, will promote your book because you've got uh, your old book because a new mm-hmm. one's come out. I'm sure you've been to reading like, let's say, Barbara Kingsolver comes to oh, town. I love and her. She's signing her new book and you'll see all her uh, older books usually in paperback on the table. That's backlist. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason the backlist makes the publisher money is because they're not having to spend money on it anymore. Other yeah, than no key. author haulers, no right. parties, right. <laughs> advertising. Yeah, the Peter, do I have time for a quick question? Yes, I just want to finish my okay. summary here of what's in the book. Uh, it's pre-appendicitis. There are three appendices. Uh, beloved <laughs> books of famous authors, the life cycle of a book, and a very important section, glossary of publishing terminology. So a lot of useful information in here. Go ahead, Ron. Well, I was just thinking... Um, so I, I, I'm thinking, oh, I wouldn't get it in advance because that's a hard thing to get. But I realize that's a question I have for you. It, it, you know, if I get – I could get in advance and then I can use that money to not have to do other work so I can sit and write. I that's mean, the way it's supposed to work. That's it's, the way it's supposed to <laughs> work. Yeah. It's yeah. usually not – you know, it just depends on the book. For a first-time author, an advance probably will not support you for very long. But it's supposed to be – 5000 10000 It could be anywhere from uh, – 5000 and 10000 are good numbers to think of in terms of a first book, especially with uh, – even with a big – with a smaller press, certainly. And that's um, nothing to be – but Yeah, it I could mean, be a lot more. Yeah, but it could be know. a lot more. I mean, 25000 might be enough with a larger publisher. Sure, is a possibility. One of the factors and one of the reasons why an agent can be helpful is if a book goes to auction. And what that means is more than one publisher wants you. And so your your uh, agent sets a date and a time by which everybody's bids have to be in. And if your book is uh, goes to auction and more than one publisher bids, you could you get a really chunk, nice chunk of money. Because I know that would probably help a lot in terms of like the time put on my calendar every day to write. So I don't want to count on that in order to start writing, but I thought it's nice to know if that's even a possibility. It's definitely a possibility. Yeah. I mean, in advance is the standard way it's done. Of course, that means that, you know, you your book, will, the royalties have to wait until you've earned all right. that out, and that takes a while. Yeah. So I'd like to close by also referencing that you have some lovely anecdotes from well-known writers in the book. And the one I was drawn to was Amy Tan's uh, rejection experience. And to try to sum it up briefly, she got a rejection letter September 1st, 1987, from the fiction editor of The Atlantic, Mike Curtis. And it was written to uh, her her, uh, agent, quote, The Amy Tan is beautifully written. Uh, and I hope you'll send us more of her work. This story, however, tries to cover much ground and seems to us a bit too thin. Maybe the next one. And Amy, first of all, was uh, struck by being described as the Amy Tan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but fast forward, uh, what is this, a few years later as I turn the page, uh, she was at a, a writer's conference, and who was there but uh, this guy, Mike Curtis. 
and she enters the room uh, behind him. Somehow he doesn't actually see. And well, he a- was giving a talk, and she came in kind of and stood the in side. the back, and yeah. he didn't see her, uh-huh. right? And she's pretty distinctive. Uh, I-, I would recognize her if she <laughs> entered the room. So at any rate, he is uh, kind of pontificating. And uh, she quotes him as saying, he made a point about literary taste, saying, I was one of the editors who received a manuscript of the Joy Luck Club, and I read it and I rejected it because it was not for me. And Amy uh, says here, it seemed that everyone in the room knew I was there except him. He went on. (laughs) And even though that book appealed to many people and went on to do very well, I would still say that book is not one I would publish. So then the the room starts buzzing. The editor then saw Amy Tan turned around, and there's a fireplace in the room. He grabbed a poker and said, should I plunge this through me now or in the privacy of my room? (laughs) 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 That is priceless. And finally, um, tchotchkes, promotional tchotchkes for a book. Uh, The connection of this kazoo that has imprinted write that book already and your website uh you can't take yourself too seriously is the message <laughs> yeah. and you don't <laughs> we never, we've never been accused of that <laughs> sam barry kathy Kamen goldmark the book is out right now write that book already the tough love you need to get published and who published this damn thing Adams Media. Adams Media, which is part of F&W, which is a big consortium. They do Writer's Digest, which is a worth looking at for if you're an aspiring writer. And where can we find your book? Anywhere books are sold. But in particular, you can find signed copies at independent bookstores all over the Bay Area, Books, Inc., Booksmith, Book Passage, a great good place for books in Oakland. And uh, and do you recommend that people support their local independent bookstore whenever they can? You know, the reason it's important to do that is because independent bookstores are the places where aspiring and up-and-coming authors get a shot. And so I think all aspiring and up-and-coming authors should support those stores. They're also often the places like Book Passage where you or a great good place where you get to meet an author right. and hear a reading. So, yes, support your independent bookstore. I just thought you might say that. Thank Go you. figure. <laughs> thank you both. And Rona Renner, thank you for letting us intervene. Well, thank you for this intervention. I don't feel too bad. I'm not, I'm not all sweaty and crying. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm inspired. So this was a good intervention, Peter. Well, we're all your ex-boyfriends are waiting out in the hall now to talk to you. <laughs> and we're looking forward to your book being published next year. Okay, we'll do another show then. How's that, Peter? <laughs> Rona Renner, Kathy Kamen-Goldmark, and Sam Barry, thanks for joining me today here on the Peter B. Collins Show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Your feedback is welcome. Email me, peter, at peterbcollins.com. Happy trails. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails.